You're listening to How to Stan, the podcast all about both specific fandoms and fandom culture as a whole. For more information about the show and the other show that I do, 17 Karat K-Pop, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. You can also go to 17karatkpop.weebly.com backslash how to stand for more specific information about this podcast. Enjoy the show! Our story begins with a carpenter named Kurt Christensen in the countryside in Denmark decades ago. He was originally known for building homes for farmers, and he had this local business going for him building houses until that income started drying up during the Great Depression when he switched to building toy houses and toy furniture, which actually there hadn't been really competition for at the time because a lot of toy-making supplies, like metal, were being used for the war effort eventually and otherwise were scarce before that. So he thought, hey, why not I try making more stuff with wood? So eventually, his toys became so popular that even wood became a resource that was hard to find to make the toys, but he took advantage of it when he had it. Until then, he eventually did branch out to using plastic in 1949, but the point being that he found creative ways to use the materials at his disposal and created this toy furniture company out of it, which eventually turned into actually just making bricks for kids to play with. The whole idea for this was the motto Lay Gott, which is Danish for play well, and that was the entire motto underlining his company. Some design modifications to his bricks happened very quickly. He decided to try making it easier to connect the bricks to each other in a unique way by adding those little plastic tubes to the structure. He also added brighter colors to the palette and put the Lego logo on each piece. So yep, now you know by now I'm talking about the history of Lego toys and how those bricks came into being. In 1961, suddenly Lego fame had already become popular worldwide. It had soared all over the place. 50 Lego sets were being sold across 11 countries. Across 11 countries in 1961, and then just 9 years later, at the end of the 60s, it went from being in 11 countries to 42 countries selling Legos. They actually eventually reached the USA as sort of a fluke, not because of just noticing the worldwide trend during that era, but because the president of Samsonite Luggage was on a business trip to Denmark and ran into these Legos and really loved the look of them. So he brought suitcases of those Legos home to the USA, and that's how they entered American soil for the first time. In the 1970s, Lego was thriving. The retail sales annually were $300 million on average, And this rise may have seemed meteoric and unstoppable, but of course, there will always be market competition catching up, which became the case in the 80s and 90s, when a bunch of competitors started forming when people realized, hey, we can actually make quite a huge profit by just selling these toy bricks. We don't need to put more thought than that into it. So Tyco, Oxford, Best Lock, a lot of different brands of Lego-like building supplies started popping up. But none really took off as much as Lego ever did. And contributing to Lego's positive reputation worldwide in the 90s was this new-for-the-time technology that allowed Lego use in the classroom to combine with school's robotics department. So a partnership could form there that turned Legos into an overt educational tool that helped Lego's brand reputation and actual financial value as well. 
However, another bump in the road came in 1998 when 1,000 LEGO employees were laid off. At the turn of the century, LEGO sales were just down, interest was waning, and so they needed to revive and inject some new energy into the brand, which helped when they created this new toy, Bionicle. But long-term LEGO fans, in a weird plot twist, were very upset by this at first. They saw Bionicle and they thought, that looks nothing like the classic Legos we grew to know and love. What is this imposter toy? This is not Lego. However, apparently they did get over it because Bionicle sold pretty well and Ninjago went on to sell even further. So Lego realized they could still make money and have a good brand reputation and still have their fans even when diversifying the toys they sold, even when initially fans were reluctant to see those changes made to their beloved toy, they would they would catch on eventually to those trends. So Ninjago, the toy set from Lego, came alongside a television series in 2011, which further allowed Lego to continue to be talked about and relevant because it, they realized the potential for that relevancy to continue through media hype around TV shows and the Lego movies now, of course, mixed with the traditional toy. A mix of old and new things to keep fans loyal and interested. Usually in How to Stand, I wait till the end of the episode to wrap it all up and summarize the deeper meaning of why psychologically, sociologically, etc., we like what we like and why certain fandom made have developed over a certain item or thing, but this time for LEGO specifically it makes a lot more sense for me simultaneously to talk about why people like LEGO and continue to elaborate on the timeline of LEGO's popularity. A lot of context that will be helpful here is from my conversation with Zoe Fraud Blenar, who is the author of the book Super Fandom. And that conversation, a key detail about that to remember is when we were talking about what draws the distinction between being just a consumer of a product, buying the product, playing with Legos, and being an actual Lego fan. When do you cross over into fandom status? And what she said is that if you are using an item as intended by the creator, if you're using a product as intended even if it's using it a lot, but you're using it as intended, like listening to an album, listening to music, reading a book, um, watching a certain movie, that's just consuming the product. That's being a consumer. If you buy Legos and play with them, you're someone who plays with Legos. You're a Lego fan if you go above and beyond and do something extra. That wasn't initially the intention of the product when it was made and sold to you. You build Legos for a YouTube channel, or you share your Lego creations and post about them on social media, or you go to a Lego fan convention. Those next level things. And same with other things. Maybe you're writing fan fiction. Maybe you're just wearing a band's t-shirt, but you're doing something extra. That is when you become a fan of a product. And connected to that is the meaning behind this book that I will link to on the weekly newsletter on my site, Cult Collectors. And Cult Collectors is a really interesting book. It has four main sections, and each one focuses on a different aspect of collecting. And the author's main argument is that collecting is this active process. Maybe not super chronological in terms of how often it follows that stage of a, those stages of events directly, but... The point being that it is an actively ongoing process, and that is what fandom participation is all about. 
fandoms need to constantly have activity to stay alive and be energized. And so constantly adding your own unique twist on Lego products is a way to keep that Lego interest and fandom conversation happening because if fandom conversations and interactions die out, so does the fandom. But that doesn't happen with Lego. And one of the reasons is because of the active elements of it. It's not a passive hobby to collect Legos. And so the author argues that collecting something is not really a passive thing. It's an active thing because as you buy it, you're adding to your memories. So at the end of the day, when someone asks, you know, how was your day? You may say it was great. I built a castle out of Legos or it was great. I built a boat or whatever you did. But when you do that with whatever you're collecting and with this example, when you buy Legos, then you look back years later and you don't remember what you said on a specific day, but you remember the years after year, the year after year that you responded to the question, how was your day with, I built something out of Legos. And suddenly it's part of your life story to say, when I was young, I played with Legos. And that becomes part of your life story over time by those day-to-day hobbies that you have. And so that's why material things have so much more meaning than it may seem on the surface, because you are actively building your life story and memories while you build with Legos or other toys. The author also uses a key term here called secondhand fandom, which refers to basically this nostalgia-driven approach to owning secondhand merchandise. It could be like a band t-shirt from your parents or something like that, owning a copy of a book that they used to read, And it can also be playing with the Legos they used to play with. Maybe not literally the same set of Legos, but playing with the ones that, the kind of Legos that they were playing with as a kid. And that's what secondhand fandom is. It's passing this on for generations, which is able to happen in a way that keeps fans interest because Lego has, like I said before, constantly diversified its portfolio. They've had mini Lego figures launch, a Lego space set, and then a castle launched in the 70s. They've had the classroom-specific Lego sets for educational purposes. There's the Lego movie series that started in 2014, which was actually the year that Lego was named the world's largest toy company. Another fun fact there is that Lego actually was going to be a TV series first, but that idea got ditched quickly, it flopped, and they went on to make successful movies instead. But anyway... Lego has also tried marketing specifically toward girls with the Lego Friends sets that have this whole world where all the Lego girls live in Heart Lake City and everything. So that conversation is for another day about why they marketed differently towards girls. I have a lot of issues with that, but I digress. Lego also has had some big-name partnerships that keep it interesting, like Star Wars. Another fun fact there... Lego actually initially didn't want to go through with the partnership with Star Wars because in the early days of the company, they had made a decision to never glorify weapons of war by making toy weapons. And even Star Wars weapons were viewed as too much. But eventually they realized the deal was just too lucrative, frankly, to pass up on, and there you go. The point being that Lego continues to keep things interesting while still being the Legos you know and love. The Legos you're playing with are still similar enough to the Legos your parents played with that they look at them and recognize them and say, oh yeah, I used to play with those, you know? But then they're also your own thing. You constantly keep it relevant. The user is the one who gets to decide what the Legos look like and keeps controlling the outcome. And that hands-on ability is key for the fandom's relevance and for the toy's relevance. And those, of course, go hand in hand. Lego's relevance has also continued thanks to its savvy use of the internet to promote its products. 
One, there's one aspect of that that is just totally unexpected when you get like vloggers talking about their trips to Legoland or other physical locations they travel to. But I also feel like you're traveling to different Lego exhibits of sorts without even leaving your home just by watching these YouTube videos of people building Lego creations and showing off their work. You get to see what Lego fans around the world are building with the same types of blocks that you have. So it's a cool way to bond and connect with people which doesn't have a language barrier or anything. You just have to look at what they built and you can feel like, oh, that's cool. I know what you are what you were thinking. What, I know that's a castle that you built or whatever it is. There are also fan channels like Beyond the Brick. That one has around 824,000 subscribers. And then, of course, there's the official LEGO YouTube channel, which has 10.5 million subscribers. And so LEGO is really popping on YouTube. And it's a way for fans to show off their creations and feel emboldened to make their own or try to copy others or inspire others. Another key detail to note about LEGO's presence on YouTube is that it's also worked for other brands like Barbie. We talked about that in the Mattel-themed episode of this show. Barbie has pivoted to being a YouTube vlogger who actually has some interesting, insightful things to say. And so she occasionally goes viral on social media, not even in the circle of Barbie fans on social media, I'm not even sure how big that circle is, but just in general, she's trending online because she's released a video that's actually quite surprising and people are like, who knew Barbie had this much wisdom or whatever, just by just being a cartoon character. But she's very real and relatable through YouTube vlogging, and so you see a new side of these characters that makes them come to life for people and be relatable. So now people not only bond with other fans, but with the actual thing, like Barbie or Lego. And that is happening thanks to the internet, which is especially true this year because you can feel connected to a global network while staying at home. And everyone's staying at home in quarantine a lot more than ever, of course. And that also has to do with why Lego's popular. Not just because you connect with a worldwide community, but people are just buying Legos and playing with them more. They're taking up new hobbies at home. A lot of classic kids' toys are having sales through the roof these days because of the pandemic and people staying at home, needing things to keep their kids occupied. So Play-Doh and Lincoln Logs and Lego are some of the toys that people are suddenly buying up again. People build onto their Lego-themed memories by literally building more and just engaging with Lego toys more and looking at other people's creations more, but also by physically traveling. So you're not just building up memories of playing Legos at home. It adds at least twice the meaning when suddenly Legos are not just a part of your at-home memories, but a part of your memories from different locations, too. Lego is carried with you, and that is the case when you physically go to Lego Landmarks like the series of Legoland resorts that has sprung up in over the past few decades. There are now Legoland resorts in Denmark, Dubai, Japan, Malaysia, Germany, the UK, California, and Florida. Each park is designed with kids ages 2 to 12 in mind, but there's probably fun for the whole family because there are Legos everywhere. There are also things separate from the Lego resorts that you can find in cities worldwide called Lego Discovery Centers. And those are places where kids can go and play with and build Legos, sort of like where you go for a ball pit or something, and probably equally as germ-filled. So not sure how popular those are these days. Some are actually open, with COVID pro safety protocols in place, mask wearing, sanitizing, etc. But I'm not sure how business is doing right now But for those, but... The point being that there are these actual physical locations where you can go and take your Lego interests public in a, a new way. There is also 
BritCon and more events like that that show that Legos are popular at every age. Not just people from all locations around the world, but people of all ages can be into it. Again, because of that agency, you are actively building your memories with something and you are actively changing what that Lego toy looks like or what you're, what you're doing with that toy, how it has a memory for you. That is so personal and constantly you're reinventing that and that is something that everyone at every age does. So it's a timeless appeal for everyone in the family. And there are events that extra encourage the fact that adults can be into Lego too, like BrickCon, which is specifically marketed for adult Lego fans. BrickCon is a place where adults show off their elaborate Lego creations and get to meet with and socialize with other Lego fans. It's an annual thing. It's held in Seattle, and it's been happening except for this year. It has never been canceled except for this year, and it started in 2002, so it's been going strong for quite a while. It's actually not even technically affiliated with the Lego brand itself, but it has gained popularity and attention, and it's not just like some quiet little meeting in the back of a building. It's a big event that gets publicized, and people get excited for it. Lego fans from all over the world may attend, and so it's not technically from Lego, but it's an example of how Lego has come to be so much more than just the brand. It is suddenly now that it has meaning in people's lives all over the place of all ages and everything, it now has these infinitely enhanced areas and outlets for people to show their love for this brand and what it means for them. And they take those memories next level by even starting their own conventions. Now that is next level fandom status. Also, Lego adult fans get to show off their skills through TV now. There's a new show that just got renewed for a second season, actually, and aired in February of this year. It's on Fox, and it's called Lego Masters. And it's a building competition show where adults show off their Lego creations that they've built. It's a reality show of sorts, and it's coming back for a second season. So that goes to show that people are interested in watching what other people do with these toys. So I have a couple main takeaways for why Lego has such an appeal all these years later. One of them being that it's constantly diversified its brand and its catalog of what you can buy and create with for different target audiences and tapping into multimedia promotion and things like that. It's been become very tech-savvy. It's evolved with the times in terms of marketing in a way that is very hands-off for PR, really, they can take a hands-off approach because Lego is Lego and they don't have to change that basic formula at the end of the day. They just have to make little adjustments like color scheme changes or add a new partnership to the Lego brand affiliation and then just kind of sit back and watch the users redefine the toy and reinvent it for them. They don't have to reinvent the wheel here and they can still find a way to keep it fresh thanks to all of the user control involved with toys like this. Second big takeaway is that Lego building also builds memories. It has to do with your life story. You remember certain toys from your childhood and adulthood, and Legos are one of those. And then, of course, the physical memories of going to Legoland or a Discovery Center, and those memories that proliferate not just in your house but across the world and across years of your life. The third takeaway here is that Lego is extra powerful as a cultural force because it is so simple. And its simplicity allows it to be malleable to the needs of adults who want to add more impressive skill sets to their building and showing off their extra elaborate creations. But it also is simple enough for 
the cognition of a very young kid to play with and create with. So it grows with you and it, that therefore it never really gets old because you can constantly renew it and it keeps it remains engaging just intellectually. It's stimulating to continue to make new educational things and toys out of your Lego experience. The last thing I will say about why Lego is still so popular is because life is all about these material things that we have. So as silly as it may seem to care so much about holding on to an old band t-shirt or a book, a physical book copy of a book you like, or something like that, that's what life is. Life is just what we actually decide different material objects mean to us because material objects are just pieces of plastic or whatever until we decide we're going to actively work to make those part of our memories. And once we do that, then suddenly they have so much more meaning than just that piece of plastic or whatever. So we're in control ultimately of how different objects are remembered as so much more than just objects in our lives. And so Lego is a key example of what helps with that active instead of passive hobby of storytelling, of building up your life story in unique ways that stay fresh but stay also constant in other ways too. Familiar yet different all the time and always changing like life. So ultimately at the end of the day life is about those physical things in the world that we have decided to use for whatever reasons we need emotionally and socially and they are the foundation of and the tools of finding ways to connect with others. So ultimately at the end of the day no matter what material objects you find super valuable in your life, it's super valid because at the end of the day, everyone is seeking for those tools to use for expressing themselves, for showing off what they've done and feeling proud of it, for getting compliments from others, for bonding with other people, for feeling like they have a hobby that others relate to, for relating with their kids, bonding with their kids, whatever the case is, all these natural, very, very normal human desires Sometimes Lego is that tool to help fulfill those emotional needs for people. And so no matter if it's a toy or something else, it is as meaningful as you decide it is. And so that can be very personal. So for Lego fans, it's no different. And for any toy, it's no different. We're all seeking certain senses of satisfaction in our lives. And sometimes that comes from Lego for all of the reasons I've just described. And so that's how from its humble beginnings... It has turned into so much more, but at the end of the day, it's still that little toy furniture evolving into a little toy brick that you could use to build your own furniture back in Denmark in the 40s. And it still maintained that simple status is that's all you need. You just need that little tool to help untap a world of potential for making you feel like you have a better life and a more exciting life, special memories that you can never forget. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How to Stand. Tune in next week for the last episode of the year, and then stay tuned because I have many more episodes to come in 2021.